0: Well, happy Easter, friends. Can we just give the Lord a hand? Amen. Well, it's good to have you with us. We're going to welcome those that are joining us on the Edgewood campus, as well as those that are hanging out with us online. Uh, we're glad to have you. And today we're going to wrap up a series called The Passover Lamb. Uh, the last couple of weeks we've been in this series, and if you're new with us, I'm going to catch you up all at one time today, uh, and then I'm going to help you understand a little bit about what the Passover lamb is. Uh, the Passover lamb story is found in the book of Exodus, and uh, it involves a people called Israel, which is a nation that God has chosen. So everybody say, Israel? Okay, So Israel is this nation, God has chosen them and uh, they went in uh, to a place called Egypt. There was about 70 of them and they go in and they find asylum and refuge there because they have a famine in their land. And as they go to Egypt and find help, uh, they, they actually begin to have kind of an incubator period. Uh, so this is spring and chickens are hatching. Well, that's what Israel does. They go into this nation called Egypt and they basically just hatch. They go in about 70 people. 430 years later, they're going to come out and there's going to be over 2 million of them. But while they were there, they were oppressed and, and they were... Um, They were beaten and they endured great hardship at the hands of the Egyptians. And while they were there, uh, the Egyptians uh, continued to uh, make their load heavier and heavier and heavier. heavier. So they cried out to God and they said, Lord, we need your help. And they cry out and God helps them. And he sends a guy named Moses. Moses goes to Pharaoh, uh, the known leader of the world at the time. He's the leader of Egypt. And Pharaoh says, Hey, my God told me to let to tell you to let the people go. And he goes, I, I, don't, I don't care what your God told you. I, I don't know your God, and, and so no. Um, he goes, no, I want you to let the people go. And he says, no, I'm not gonna let the people go. Uh, and eventually he takes his staff and he strikes the Nile uh, River and it turns to blood. And all of a sudden Pharaoh goes, okay, maybe we should talk. Maybe we should have some negotiations. Uh, And then they begin to have some negotiations. The problem is is that Egypt and Pharaoh will not relent. God brings about plagues. Eventually, God brings 10 total plagues. The final plague, God tells the people of Israel, this nation, and their leader Moses and his brother Aaron, that, hey, I'm gonna bring a final plague and and Pharaoh will relent and he will let the people go. And, And when that happens, you need to know that I'm going to set the people free. And the way that happens is I'm going to send a Passover lamb. And so this lamb is is going to be in your place. And when the angel of death comes through all of the village and all the country, anybody who takes a Passover lamb, takes its blood and puts it over the doorpost of of your homes, they will be saved. Doesn't matter who's inside. Doesn't matter what they've done. It doesn't matter where they've been. Doesn't matter what they had done to them. If they're inside And the blood covers their home, then they'll be saved. And the angel of death passes by and anybody that was inside a house uh, with, with the blood applied to their home, they were saved. Now here's the deal. That's the people of Israel. But the question is, is where do the people of Israel come from? The people of Israel actually came from, in the book of Genesis, a guy named Abraham. Abraham is the father of the nation of Israel, and he is living in the area of Mesopotamia near Tigris and Euphrates rivers. And God shows up to him and he says, hey, Abraham, I want you to leave Ur of the Chaldeans and I want you to go and I want to, I want to make you into a great nation. Abraham, even though a little bit reluctant because he's hearing from God that he's revealed himself to Abraham, he goes, okay, I'll do it. He leaves Mesopotamia and he follows where God tells him to go. And, and upon doing that, God tells him in Genesis chapter 12, Abraham, I'm gonna make you into a great nation. I'm going, to make, I'm going to give you land, I'm going to give you people, I'm going to give you blessings, I'm going to give you descendants. You're going to have so many descendants that it's going to outnumber the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. And it's going to be fantastic, Abraham. And Abraham goes, okay, awesome, God, let's do it. And this nation that Abraham is going to make is the nation called Israel. Fast forward, they find themselves in the oppression of Egypt and God has to rescue them there. But then you think about Abraham. Well, Abraham going, okay, you've got this promise from God. Abraham and his wife, Sarah, have a little bit of a conundrum because God wants to make a great nation from them. The problem is that they have no children. There are no descendants. Abraham is getting old in age and he's nearing 100 years old. Um, his wife is 90. They don't have any children. And so they decide, hey, you know what? Maybe we should Find a new way. Uh, Sarah is barren. That means she hasn't been able to bear any children. And so Sarah comes with an idea, and she says, "Hey, what if it, what if it just required you going in, and what if you, what if you went and you laid with with Hagar, the servant? What what if you just had a child with her? Now I don't know about you, but that sounds like a really bad idea. Anybody in here go? That's probably a bad idea. Go ahead. Yeah. Okay, now listen, if you don't think that's a bad idea, then we probably need to discuss a few things. Um, And and here's why it's a bad idea, is that you've got Abraham and Sarah, a promise from God, and then Sarah goes, hey, listen, since I can't have a child, why don't you go and have a child with the servant? Terrible idea. I don't know of a man on the planet that wants two ladies in the same house with, with different children. Like, that's craziness, right? It sounds like a terrible plan, and Abraham goes, okay, let's do it. And Abraham has a child with Hagar, the servant, and they call him Ishmael. The problem is, is that God goes, Abraham, what are you doing? In, in the original language, in Hebrew, he basically goes, Abraham, you're a knucklehead. Okay, like that was a bad plan, a bad idea. And Abraham's like, listen, I mean, you told me that we're going to be, we're going to be the, the sign of the promise, that you're going to make a great nation out of us, but I don't have any children. And, and my wife, Sarah, has been barren for years. I mean, she's, she's old, really old, and she's not going to have a child. So what are we going to do? And he goes, listen, you were to trust me. I told you that there would be a child. I told you there would be a son of the promise. And then he says, Sarah, you will have a child. And Sarah laughs at God. And as a result, he goes, what are you doing? What are you laughing at? What are you you laughing at? I'm going to give you a son and you're going to name him Isaac. And his name will be son of laughter. And so here it is at 90 years old. She conceives and bears a son and his name is Isaac. Now here's the deal. Um, Now Abraham um, has two sons. He has one with Hagar, the servant, and his name is Ishmael. And then he has another one with his wife, um, the son of laughter. His name is Isaac. Now, here's the t- challenge. If you have two ladies living in your house with two different sons, don't you think there's going to be a little bit of a problem? And the answer is yes. The the knucklehead idea that Abraham and Sarah had blows up in their face. Eventually, um, Ishmael and Hagar have to move out of the house and get this real quickly, just lean in with me. For the last 4,000 years, there's been contention because Ishmael was the son of the Arab nations. And uh, this other guy, uh, Isaac, would become the child of the promise for Israel. Now, the Arab nations, Palestine and Israel have been fighting and butting heads ever since. And you just need to know that's where it was established. Now, here's the thing, is that eventually God is going to require many things of Abraham. But here's what you need to know. Abraham, though he follows God and though he loves God, Abraham has made some really poor choices along the way. He He's just a sinner. He's just messed up. Um, but then he has the son of the promise, Isaac. But I want you to follow along with me real quickly about what God requires of Abraham. Abraham, the guy who left the Chaldeans, he has saved them many times over. Uh, But here it is in Genesis chapter 22. And if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me. If you don't have uh, a Bible, that's okay. We'll put it for you up on the screen. But we would love to give you a Bible uh, before you leave. And so on either campus, you can go to our connection point. We'd love to hook you up with the Bible so that you can have for yourself. But Genesis chapter 22, which is the very first book of the Bible, here's what happens. After all these things have transpired, God then tested Abraham and he said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. This isn't the first time that he's heard God's voice. It won't be the last time he hears God's voice. So he knows who God is. He's followed God. He's been disobedient to God. But in this case, he says, I want you to take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I should tell you. That's a pretty big ask. So basically what we just read, and maybe you've heard it before growing up in church or or maybe it's been a long time, but basically what you see and what you just read was Abraham, the guy out of of Ur of the Chaldeans, the one who uh, has been disobedient and been obedient, all these different things, he comes to a place and he says, Abraham, I want you to take your son and I want you to sacrifice him to the Lord. I don't know about you, but we oftentimes, I think in church over the years, have kind of taken like stories in the Bible and we've almost made them like childlike narratives. Like, oh, hey, Noah built a boat and then God flooded the whole earth. And wasn't that wonderful he sent a rainbow? And we do that like over and over and over again. And we just kind of talk about these stories and we never really feel the weight or the impact of this. But here, I, want you to, I want to say it in a different way. God calls Abraham and he says, I want you to take your son up the mountain, And I want you to kill him. Now, if that happens right now, we're going to say um, national news, right? A couple of newspaper articles, um, some deranged minds. All of us are going to go, that woman was crazy. Or or that dad, he was nuts. And we're going to have a few things to say about it because you don't see this happen every day. It does happen occasionally, but here it is. Um, He goes, I want you to take your son and I want you to take him up the mountain. And Abraham, it doesn't appear that he has a long conversation with God. Basically, verse three says, so Abraham got up the next morning, saddled his donkey, took two of his servants with him, and his son Isaac. He got wood for the burnt offering, arose, and he went to the place that God told him. No big deal. Cool, let's do it. I mean, here's the deal. He goes up the mountain. Now, on the fourth, uh, on verse four, he says, "On the third day," and I want you to remember this phrase: "On the third day," Abraham lifted up his eyes and he saw the place from afar. It appears that most of us could agree that this mountain is Mount Moriah and probably in the distance he sees it and he says to the young men, stay here with the donkey and the boy and I will go over there and worship and come again to you. Now what he says is, is something that I think is a little bit perplexing. And what he says is, is as he sees the mountain far off, he goes, as I see it, we're gonna go worship and we will come back. Now when he says this, the language of it suggests that Abraham really does believe that as he goes that the Lord is going to do something there to provide something miraculous. Now, this isn't the first time that he has seen something miraculous happen. After all, his wife Sarah was 90 years old and had a child. Also, this is the same guy that his nephew Lot was rescued out of a place called Sodom and Gomorrah. He has seen the hand of God in lots of crazy ways. And so it seems plausible to suggest that God's going to do something here. But the, the ask is still the same. Take your son Isaac up to Mount Moriah, sacrifice him. But he says to his servants, Hey, we'll be back. We'll see you in a few. Verse 6, so it says, Abraham then took the wood of the burnt offering, he laid it on Isaac, his son, and he took his hand, uh, in, the, in his hand the fire and the knife, and so both of them went together. Now, just so you're really clear, what happens is, is he goes, Isaac, we're going up the mountain, and by the way, you're gonna carry your own wood. And so Isaac carries his own wood. And at this point, uh, it seems that both of them go go together. There seems to be a glad submission. Isaac is is here and he goes, okay, dad, let's do it. And so you got Abraham and Isaac heading up to Mount Moriah. Verse seven says, and Isaac then said to his father, hey, father, uh, here I am, my my son, he replies. And he said, behold, uh, there's fire and the wood, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? So all of a sudden, as they're walking up Mount Moriah, uh, Isaac's carrying his own wood, and he looks around, and he goes, okay, we've got everything we need. We've got wood, we've got fire, we've got a knife, but we don't have a lamb. And at that moment, I'm sure in the conversation, Abraham's going, yeah, yeah, I mean, so let me tell you what God said. Um, God told me to take you up the mountain, and by the way, you're the lamb, you're the sacrifice. And I don't know about you, I struggle to obey when I hear God clearly, but I can only imagine how difficult it must have been for Isaac to go, hold on, you you said that you heard from God that he wants you to kill me? How, nah, I, I don't know about that, Dad. And I, maybe he drops the wood for a second. Hey, let's talk this out. But what you see is this interesting thing. He says... Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. The second time you see this phrase in two verses, verse 6, verse 8. So both of them went together. Whatever it is, is it seems that it's difficult. It must have been for Abraham as a father. Isaac, as his son, goes with glad submission. He takes the wood and he follows along the way. I'm sure there's questions. I'm sure there's doubts. I'm sure there's conversations. But in verse nine, it says, when they came to the place which God had told them, Abraham built the altar there and he laid the wood in order and he bound Isaac his son and he laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Now it's getting real. And I don't know about you, but if, I, if I'm Abraham, I'm thinking, hey, this is the time to run. Anybody else like, hey, maybe we could, like, we could run now? And here's what I want you to understand. It's not that he couldn't run. This isn't Abraham and a four-year-old Isaac. This isn't Abraham and an eight-year-old Isaac. This isn't Abraham and he's dragging his 13-year-old along. This isn't it. This kid is probably at the youngest around 18 and at the oldest, say 30 to 35. What I would say is, is he could have jetted if he wanted to he has that opportunity. He could have bolted and run for the hills. He could have done anything he wanted, but yet here it is. He is being bound. He is being tied and he is being placed on an altar because he believes his dad has heard from God. Now, we have uh, this ministry on Monday nights here at Stone Point. It's called Regeneration. Regeneration is a recovery ministry. And it's it's not just for those of us who struggle with substances or, um, you know, other things. Like, I'm going through regeneration because I'm a sinner and I always uh, need God to help guide me. And so even as we walk through regeneration... um, It's just saying, hey, Lord, I know that I need your help, like to guide me and to help me uh, learn to follow you in obedience. Well, I can imagine us gathering on a region night at seven o'clock on a Monday. And I can imagine us finishing up a couple of worship songs and a a young man just kind of slipping in the back and sitting on the back row. And uh, then you go to newcomers group and and he's like, hey, uh, my name is Isaac. Um, I'm here because my dad recently tried to kill me. Um, He said he heard from God. It was like this really crazy thing. He like bound me up, put me on this altar. And and then like he raised his hand and lit a fire. And it was really weird. It was really creepy. And I just want to process through it. That's the story. I can imagine the next week after the cat's out of the bag that Abraham comes to regeneration. He goes, yeah, it's me. I'm the one who messed him up. Um, I'm here too because I need help. This is these people. They're they're messed up, yet they're trying to follow God. And and you're like, you're having to wrestle through this. Verse 10 says, uh, Adam uh, or Abraham reached out his hand. He took the knife to slaughter his son, grabs the knife out of his sheep, and he raises his hand to slaughter him. And all of a sudden, verse 11, you've got the saving grace of the word, but, but the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And I bet at that moment, Abraham's like, oh, thank you, Lord. <laughs> and if you don't think he's thanking the Lord, you know for sure Isaac is. I mean, Isaac's like, he's braced himself and he's like, oh, praise the Lord. Uh, he, he gets unbound because Abraham goes, hey, here I am. And the angel then says these words, hey, don't lay a hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Isaac gets unbound, and he is doing a happy dance. Woo! Praise the Lord. Amen. Would you be too? Absolutely, you would. Because the implication of this is, is God stepped in at the last hour, that moment where you saw obedience meet death. God provides a way, and because of that, look what happens. And Abraham lifted up his eyes, and he looked, and behold, with him was a ram. Caught in the thicket by its horns, and Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. And then Abraham called the name of that place Mount Moriah, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. Remember that phrase. So here it is you've got this crazy story, this narrative. And as I read it, I I feel the weight of that. I feel what it must be like as a father to take in an agonizing way and place your son in obedience to your heavenly father, sweating profusely, um, nervously and anxiously anticipating what God's going to do. You know that it could cost your son his life. In obedience to God, you're also hoping that he's going to provide a way. And then finally, when you hear from the angel, you're like, praise the Lord. Thank you. But it doesn't, it doesn't change the fact that we have to wrestle with this question. And the question is, is if God is loving and he is kind, then why in the world would he ever ask a father to kill his son? And I want you to wrestle with that. Like maybe, you, maybe you've gone to church and maybe the struggle that you have with the local church now is that they never talk about real issues. And maybe you've gone to church all your life and it's just been like, hey, put up, shut up, pay up and go about your business that's not what the church is about. The church should be about difficult questions and it should be wrestling with things that are hard to understand. Because the reality is, is when I read my Bible, there are oftentimes that I come to places that are unsettling, that are difficult, and then I have to ponder and pray through. And then sometimes by faith, um, I have to go, God, I don't know what you're doing here. And, and it's hard for me. And to wrestle through that is a good thing. I'm 18 years old it's the fall of 1999 and I'm a freshman in college and I'm sitting in an English class when a professor says these words, I will never believe in a God who would cause a father to kill his son. Now I'm 18. I grew up in church, but if I'm honest with myself, um, I was rooming with a Jewish uh, roommate who didn't practice anything of Orthodox Jewish tradition. Um, He was doing things that didn't honor the Lord. Uh, There was something in my heart that said, hey, let's let's run from uh, the church and all these boundaries that God uh, has placed through my parents. And so I wanted freedom as a college freshman. I'm I'm experienced college football and college life and and I'm thinking about women and I'm thinking about all these different things. And, And then I have this professor who brings up a really good point. God, if you're so awesome and worthy, why would, you, why would you have a father kill his son? Like, that's, that's crazy. I mean, when you think about it in, in this way, it almost seems a little bit as lun- lunacy. And that's, that's what settled in me. And I didn't have an answer. I didn't have a response. And in my head, I was wondering, like, God, why? Why, why would you do that? Fast forward a decade, I'm pastoring the local church, I'm studying the scriptures and God settles something for me. And now listen, I've never heard this this sermon preached, but when I began to discover who the God of the Bible was and I began to wrestle with things that that weren't taught to me in Sunday school or church, that in some ways they they were just children's stories, when I began to wrestle with them, God began to make something very clear to me. And and here's what I want you to realize is that if I was sitting in that English class, I would have had an answer. And I wanna share that answer with you real quickly. I personally think I can prove why God would have never allowed him to be sacrificed. Uh, I don't think that God would have ever allowed Abraham to kill his son, ever. And here's why. Because number one, you need to know that Isaac was not an eligible sacrifice. So Isaac, um, he he actually was born to two parents, okay? Um, Abraham and Sarah. Everybody say Abraham and Sarah. Now, what do we know about Abraham and Sarah? We know they were knuckleheads. We know they were sinners. We know they were prone to do things that God didn't honor, right? Yes. Um, So real quickly, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. Never does, does it? Doesn't roll too far away. Now, that's a harsh reality, but the reality is this, is by the time that uh, Isaac was two years old, he had already bitten three kids in the village, stolen pacifiers, and ripped off bottles of milk. (laughs) He had trained himself as a professional of sin. He knew how to sin, and he knew exactly how to dishonor his parents. The reality is, is that Isaac was a knucklehead just like mom and dad. All of them, though they desired to be obedient to God, they were sinful and wretched. And listen, can I just help you understand something? We are too. The Bible says it this way in Romans chapter 3, verse 10. There is not one righteous, not even one. Verse 23, 13 verses later in that same chapter says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That means you and me and everyone around us are sinners. Now the crazy thing is three chapters over Paul writes to the church of Rome and he says, "Hey, and because of that sin, the wages, the penalty of that sin is is death. That you and I should be separated from God forever because our hearts are wicked." The prophet Jeremiah says this way in Jeremiah chapter 17 verse 9, "That our hearts are sick. They're desperately sick and dark. Who can understand how sick they are?" The reality is, is that you and I are just like Isaac. We had a sin problem. And God couldn't have killed Isaac because he he wasn't eligible. And more than that, Isaac needed a replacement. Isaac needed a a scapegoat in his place. Matter of fact, they're on Mount Moriah. He raises uh, his arm and the angel of the Lord says, stop, Abraham, don't. I've seen your obedience. I've seen how you're willing to offer your one and only son. One and only son, he had two sons. Oh no, the son of the promise, the one that God said would be a fulfillment. You were willing to offer him, but he wasn't eligible. So here's the question. Could you or I be sacrificed? I mean, think about it. Could you be hung on a cross and could you be sacrificed? No. And you know why you couldn't? Because you're a sinner. Which here's the reality. If you and Isaac couldn't be sacrificed and couldn't hang on a sinner's stead, you couldn't hang on a cross, then it means you're also not eligible to live forever with God. Because the sin that keeps us from being an appropriate sacrifice is the very same sin that keeps us from living in eternity with God forever. That was Isaac's problem. That was your problem. That was my problem. And here's the crazy thing is, you fast forward several hundred years and Israel, this country that was blessed from Abraham to Isaac and later his descendants, they find themselves in Egypt. They find themselves at the oppression and the hardship of God named Pharaoh. You've had plagues. And then God says, listen, you're, you're doomed, but I'm going to provide a way. And the 10th plague would kill all the firstborn in the land. Males, females, animals, all of them, except for his provision. You remember it? He goes, I'm going to give a male lamb for anyone that's not. And so here's what I want you to realize is that God provided a lamb for Isaac. He would provide it for Israel, and he's willing to provide it for you and me. So you and I all need a lamb in our place. Isaac was a sinner. He didn't meet the requirements. He needed a lamb. And guess what? You and I do too. And here's the incredible thing is that the lamb meets a handful of criteria. We see it in Exodus 12 laid out. I shared it a couple of weeks ago. I see six criteria. I'm only going to share just a, a couple of them with you real quickly. So the, one of the first requirements, you had to have a male lamb. Uh, the second requirement um, that you would have after you see a male lamb, which we see in Jesus, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's what John the Baptist said about him in John chapter 1, verse 29. You also had the the next provision was not just a male lamb, but that lamb had to be perfect in every way. Isaac wasn't perfect. The people of Israel weren't perfect. You and I aren't perfect. And so we needed a perfect lamb. That perfect lamb had to be the grand champion. It's the show lamb. It's not the one that's weak or or lame. It's it's not the run of the litter. It's not the one who has a broken leg or a blind eye. It's not the one who's been cut up and and, and, uh, lots of different scrapes and marks. It's the one, when you look at it, you go, that's the prized possession, the one and only. Friends, we have that in Jesus Christ the writer of Hebrews says it this way in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one in every respect that's been tempted just as we are, yet he was without sin. So Jesus, the lamb, was without sin. But here's the deal. If you have a lamb and you have one that's perfect in every way, it still has to one more step. And here's the deal. The third requirement I want to share with you is that a lamb had to be led to the slaughter. It had to shed blood. We had to have a transfer of blood. Wasn't that true of of Isaac? Do you remember? He raises his arm. He goes to, to slaughter his son. And God provided a male ram in the thicket. I promise that lamb would have had to have met the requirements of God. And it lost its life that day on Mount Moriah. And Abraham said the Lord would provide. Israel, they're coming out of bondage of 430 years of of, uh, slavery and God provides for them a lamb, the Passover lamb, one for every household. That if you'll just take its blood and put it over the doorpost of your home, the angel of death would pass by and they had a Passover lamb. Fast forward, you got Jesus and he is the one who is the Passover lamb. Look what is said about him in Hebrews nine twelve. It says, he, meaning Jesus, entered once and for all into the holy places, not by the means of blood and goats and calves, but by the means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. Isaiah, the prophet, 700 years before Jesus ever came to be. So 2,700 years ago wrote these words. Surely he which is the lamb, we would say it's Jesus, has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray and we have turned every one to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Jesus, the lamb of God. Now you've got Isaac, you've got Israel, you've got Jesus. That's a lot to take in, but I want you to just go back to Genesis 22. You remember Isaac, this sinful kid taken up to Mount Moriah to be slaughtered. I want you to see the similarities. Almost 2,000 years difference between Isaac and Jesus, 4,000 years from here back then. That's a long time, almost that long. Both Isaac and Jesus were desperately loved by their father both of them offered themselves willingly, both of them carried up wood to their own sacrifice, both were delivered from death on the first day? No, second day? No, the what? Third day. The only difference in these two was only one of them was able to be sacrificed and his name was Jesus. Isaac didn't fit the bill, Israel didn't fit the bill, you and I don't fit the bill, but Jesus fit the bill. So, Easter is about the God man who was perfect in every way, who was willing to hang on a sinner's cross so that you and I might be passed over and that we might experience the goodness of God. Jesus set sinners free because he was sin free. Let me say it one more time Jesus set sinners free because he was sin free. And that is a foundational element of our Bible. Matter of fact, Isaac was born of flesh and blood. That means because he came of a seed of woman, guess what? He was a sinner. All of us have been born of flesh. All of the Israelites were born of flesh. All of us have been born of flesh. That means just like Isaac, by the time he was two, he was a professional sinner. We were too. Some of us have probably ramped up our game and we probably knew sin by the time we were six months old, right? Punching our older brother or sister already. We had it down. But do you know who was not born of flesh? His name was Jesus. He was conceived of the Holy Spirit, which sets him apart. Now, the reason I say all that is because God has been making it a business of transferring himself from the very beginning of time. So I want to share two more real quick stories with you. In Genesis chapter 3, you've got this story about two individuals. Their names were Adam and Eve. They're the first people ever created. And in our Bible, in Genesis chapter 3, they uh, were accused uh, that in essence, and tempted that God was trying to withhold good things from them. God had given them a prohibition. Don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They decided to do that because they believed that if they ate, they would be like God and they would see what God sees. Sure enough, as soon as they ate of the forbidden fruit, they saw what God saw and they were both naked. And you know what they did? They ran and they hid. And when they ran, they hid. They did that in shame and guilt because they knew now sin. And they knew that they were uh, not going to be pleasing in God's sight. So they go and they make fig leaves for themselves and they cover themselves. And then God shows up and he goes, Adam, Eve, where are you? Oh, uh, we've hid. And friends, isn't that what we do? Like when we're in sin, we hide. Like we, we run from others. We, we don't really want to put too many people in our, in our life. We even act a little bit weird around others because we think that they know what we know. And we kind of keep people at a distance and we feel like everybody's judged us. The reality is, is that we're hiding. We're, we're, we're in shame and guilt. We're trying to keep ourselves from others. That's what, that's what Adam and Eve did. But in Genesis chapter three, verse 21, in an obscure line fit in this chapter, it said that God did not see that their clothes were suitable and he handcrafted and made garments of skin for them. And he covered them. And then he sent them on their way. I have a firm belief that in Genesis chapter 3, you had your first lamb given so that they might be clothed. I see this as a pattern. God clothes Adam and Eve, God clothes and takes care of uh, Abraham and Isaac and their family. He gives a lamb in their place. I see that in Israel. But guess what? I see that all the way up to the day of Jesus' crucifixion. The day of Jesus' crucifixion, Jesus is standing before Pilate. Pilate is in front of the crowd. He has seen Jesus multiple times. No wrong has been found of him. He says to the people, Pilate goes, hey, let's let let Jesus go free. And the crowd says, no, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. And the reality is, is is Pilate's going, I don't know why. Pilate's own wife says, hey, listen, whatever you do, do not kill this man. I had a dream and we do not want anything to do with that. Do not let his blood be on your hands. Pilate says, listen, I can't do that. Why don't we release one man who's innocent and why don't we take a criminal to the hill and let's have him killed? And so he makes it plausible. Pilate goes, hey, listen, we've got this guy that's a known criminal. He's a murderer. He's a thief. He's a liar. um, He's a slanderer. um, He is obnoxious. He is the guy who needs to be killed. His name is Barabbas. Son of the father is his name. He goes, why don't we release Barabbas? Barabbas or uh, kill Barabbas, and why don't we release Jesus? And the crowd says, no, 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 no. Release Barabbas, the criminal, and kill Jesus. And that day, the son of the father, Barabbas, goes free. And one son of the father is killed. And all the way up to the very last hour of his death, Jesus hanging on Calvary's tree, the cross, even one more time makes a Passover suggestion to a thief. One thief denies him. Another one says, Jesus, I believe in you. Would you please remember me? And Jesus says, today, you will be with me in paradise. From the very beginning of time, God has been providing a Passover lamb. He did it for Adam and Eve in the garden. He did it for uh, Isaac on Mount Moriah. He did it for the people of Israel when they escaped from bondage in, uh, in Egypt. He did it for the people of God time and time again. Uh, he did it for Barabbas, the guilty. He did it for the sinner next to him on the hill of Golgotha. From day one of creation, God has been making it a suggestion that on Mount Moriah, just as Abraham named it, the Lord will provide. And he's been doing that ever since. And if he'll provide it for Isaac a sinner, he'll provide it for Israel a sinner, he'll provide it for Brab as a sinner, he'll provide it for you and me as sinners. Isn't that good news? And here's what I would just tell you. friends, it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter where you run to hide. There's a God in heaven who loves you. And no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, no matter what's been done to you, he loves you and he wants to give you a Passover lamb and that Passover lamb is Jesus. Every other story has been a a shadow of the things to come, but Jesus is the real deal. And what you do with him really does matter. If I give you a gift at Christmas and you take it and you put it in the closet, have you received a gift? No. No. But if you take a gift and you open it, you receive it, then it's yours. And friends, here's what I would help you understand. For the last um, couple thousand years, people have been hearing about the gift found in Jesus Christ. They know that Jesus died on the cross. They know that he died for sinners. But what you see time and time again, people not wanting to acknowledge the gift and receive it. And today is an opportunity to receive it. Romans chapter 10, verse nine, Paul says this, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is the Lord, you could be saved. You know what that means? It means that right where you're at in your seat, all you have to do is say, God, I'm like Isaac. God, I'm like Israel. I'm prone to wonder. God, I'm like Barabbas. I'm guilty. God, I'm an adulterer. God, I, I I have... I'm um, lusted in my mind. God, I, I, I'm a sinner and I have missed the mark time and time again. I'm a liar. I'm a thief. I deserve death. But God, you gave life through your son. And so Lord, I believe in your son. I believe in who he is. I believe in what he did. And I wanna follow him. I wanna trust him. And then right there in your seat, it's going, God, would you forgive me? Would you make me new? Because you provided the ultimate Passover lamb. And friends, that's what Easter's all about. The good news is that Easter right now is about the same thing because as I was browsing all the internet sites I could today, the New York Times, uh, LA Journal, all of them, guess what? You know what? They still don't have a body. And that's really good news because the Passover lamb has fulfilled everything we need. And that's what Easter is about. And so as we leave this place today, may we remind ourselves that God has provided the Passover lamb for you and me. Just as he did it for Isaac, just as he did it for Barabbas, just as he did for Adam and Eve, he's done it for you and me too. And that is incredible news. So incredible. I can't wait to have Easter lunch and celebrate. (laughs) Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And Lord, may your kingdom come, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And Lord, as we think about all that we've heard and learned over the last uh, handful of minutes and even the last couple of weeks, as we pondered those things, Lord, I cannot help but think about how I resemble Isaac. I'm a sinner. God, I fall short of the glory of God. I have missed the mark time and time and time again. But Lord, I'm so thankful that while I was dead in my sins and trespasses, that you made me alive in Christ, that there was a day and time where I acknowledged my sin and I turned and I trusted you and I forever chose to follow you in obedience. And Father, I just pray for for us today that there may be someone in this room that it's the day to follow you in obedience. Maybe someone online hanging out with us in this very moment. It's time for them to follow you in obedience. Maybe in Edgewood, it's time for them to follow you in obedience. Lord, I pray that today there would be sinners that are set free from the penalty of death and they're transferred into the kingdom of light because of your dear and beloved Son. You are good and you are faithful and you are worthy because you are the Lamb that was slain. Slain for Isaac, slain for Adam and Eve, slain for you and me. Lord, thank you for what you've done for us. What love has the Father demonstrated By sending his one and only son. Lord, I wish I would have had an answer for my English professor 20 plus years ago. Lord, I wish I could have told her about what I knew about you, what I knew to be true. Lord, thank you for the ways you've grown me. Now, you may be here on either of our campuses, and maybe today you would say, you know what? It makes sense. I get it. I'm a sinner, I've missed the mark. If you're just right there in your seat with your eyes closed and your heads bowed, like, but if you're here and you say, hey, I know that I'm a sinner and I know that today is the day that I, I'm to trust Jesus. I'm to follow him with my will and my way. I'm to ask him for, for forgiveness of sin. I don't want him to live in my life. If that's you on either campus, would you, would you just slip your hand up the air so that we just pray for you? Amen, amen. So you've just raised your hand on either campus. Here's what I would encourage you to do. I'm gonna give you a couple of minutes and all you have to do is make it your prayer to your heavenly father and just go, God, I, I'm an Isaac. I'm a wretched, filthy sinner. I've missed the mark. I lie, I cheat. I'm an adulterer in my mind. I'm wretched. I deserve the penalty of that sin. But just as you saved Isaac that day, and you provided for him on the hill of Moriah, Lord, God, would you provide for me today? I believe in you. I trust you. I ask that you forgive me. I ask that you'd forgive me, live in me, make me new creation, and help me to follow you with all my heart, with all my mind, with all my soul, and with all my strength. God, today, would you make me your son? Would you make me your daughter? Take a few moments and just ask God to do that wherever you are, And then we'll close our time in song. Father, I thank you Then, John chapter 15, you tell us that when one sinner repents and turns to you, that all of heaven and earth rejoice, that the angels in heaven are excited because one person repents and they turn back and they follow you. Lord, thank you that on Easter Sunday of 2021, you have made a few people alive in Christ. Thank you that you have given them the forgiveness of sin. Thank you that you have transferred them from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. They are now called sons. They're called daughters. They're no no longer children of wrath. They no longer deserve punishment because you, the Passover lamb, stood in their place. Thank you, God, that that's what Easter's about. It's not about Easter bunny and eggs. It's not about the glorious chocolate Reese's eggs. And as tempted as I am to believe that that's what should entice me, Lord, I know that I have to set my eyes on you. The cross that you gave yourself for me, that you paid the penalty for Barabbas and the thief, that you did that for Adam and Eve and for anyone else, including Isaac, who would believe in you, confess with their mouth and believe in their heart that we could be saved because you raised your son from the dead. Thank you. And would you be with us as we leave this place? In Jesus' name we pray and all of God's people said, amen. And church, we're gonna stand together. Now listen, if you've trusted and received Christ today and you would say, hey, I followed him. Hey, tell your journey leader today. Uh, Tell a friend today. Uh, Come see me, I'll be here. I would love to hear from you. I'd love to pray with you, encourage you. That's the most important step you could take. If you're on the Edgewood campus, tell one of the pastors there. But either way, let's stand and let's sing and let's celebrate all that God has done.